Hey, what's going on? This is David Avalon with another episode of Breaking the Guard with me and Robert Drysdale. On today's episode, we talk about the upcoming UFC with Conor McGregor versus Cowboys Donald Cerrone. And uh, a little bit about the, the news and marketing and the, the politics behind it. And uh, we then jump into the Submission Underground tag team matchup that was just announced recently, which was with Craig Jones and Nick Rodriguez versus Cal Baum and Vinny Magalies. Oh. <laughs> I still have to learn how to pronounce his name right. But uh, and we talk about how those style matchups will work out. And uh, we then start jumping around all over the place, going into ancient cultures and learning about the ancient wisdoms of uh, people in the past. And uh, we finished off at the end with some internal reflections and the importance of evaluating yourself on a, on a deeper level rather than judging yourself based on your material goods or on the things you've done. So I think it's a very interesting conversation that we had. I hope you guys enjoy it. So go ahead and tune in. Before we get started, a word from one of our sponsors, which is DrysdaleBJJOnline.com. DrysdaleBJJOnline.com is Robert's website, which he offers courses for you to watch. Uh, and they cover all sorts of topics from his top 10 positional escapes, nine fundamental mount submissions. And he's got a whole bunch of different mini courses, and they're all very affordable, starting at $15.99. Uh, for the time being, he's on sale. And uh, they're a great way to jump in and pick the brains of one of the greatest submission grapplers of our time. Uh, you know, Robert's an excellent instructor. That's one of the reasons why that I made his gym my, my home here in Las Vegas. I attended one of his classes because uh, he actually flew me down for a seminar when I was scoping out Las Vegas as a place to live. And uh, he was the first one to raise his hand and say, hey, I'll host you, David. So I thought that was cool. Me and him competed in the past. But we never really had any interaction outside of that. But uh, I went, before I taught the seminar, I went to one of his classes he had in the morning. And I remember he was teaching a basic, uh, what I call a double stack or stack and pass, where you get, some people call it double unders, when you get both arms under the legs and stack the person on the shoulders. And that's a very basic pass. And I've taught that many times myself and used it as well. Uh, but whenever I go to someone's class, I always, come in with a clean slate and see if they can offer anything I can learn. And Robert actually offered quite a bit for me to, to chew on. And the way he taught, the way the class was structured, it was very well organized, very articulate. And pretty much that's why I'm always there. So I highly recommend anything that Robert's offering because I know the caliber of his teaching that he has from my personal experience. So go ahead, visit DrysdaleBJJOnline.com and order some courses and level up your jiu-jitsu. Hey, what's going on? It's David Avalon here with Robert Drysdale. We're back from the winter vacations. <laughs> Happy Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Uh, we haven't seen each other I think no, since uh, almost a month, maybe three weeks. Yeah, yeah. Since we did our last show, and uh, you know, we all needed a break. You know, and it was a nice one too. Like I had some 
I had to a little vacation with the kids in Maui, which was fantastic. And then when I came back, you had some family in town. I'm right. Yeah, my well, my parents came in from Christmas, so they came yeah. in Christmas Day, which was really awesome. And uh, I posted about it, but my dad's like the ultimate handyman. So he came in here. He's like perfect right. timing. Yeah. He's like, All no. right, son, I'm going to show you the ropes. Yeah. Like, yeah. So we did some hardwood flooring. We put in the um, backsplash in the kitchen, a bunch of other stuff. So, and he got me all these tools. So See, I want to learn handiwork. I just, I don't have the time to learn, but it actually looks fun. You know, the people that do it actually do enjoy it. Like, I'm a decent handyman, but like, there's a lot more I could learn that I would like to. Like, yeah. Marcelo, you know, Marcelo does everything. He does his whole house. Yeah, I've seen floor, Instagram. Like, yeah, like, it's yeah. incredible. Like, it looks just, really and, nice. Yeah. He does this about everything. You know, it's a skill. It's a good skill to have. Saves you a lot of money too. Yeah, it um, does. But uh, it's a skill you have to give it time to. It's not rocket science, but it's not something you learn, you know, in, on one try. It right. Takes, it takes a good day of doing the same thing for you to acquire a very basic level skill level at it. Right. It's a lot of trial and error because yeah. it's very simple. Like even playing like the backsplash, it's like what? you put a primer, yeah. you put the mortar. You put the tile, you put the grout, and then the sealer. But sounds very simple, but the execution. <laughs> and there's a lot of things that can go wrong if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. But it's, it's a ton of stuff you can learn, though. Like, it's not something that, you know, to me, some things are very difficult to learn for some reason. Like, whatever reason, like, they don't click with me. I never felt that, like, manual labor, unless it's something very artistic that requires a lot of fine motor skills. None of it is overly complicated. You know, I look at it, I'm like, okay. And I watch people do it, and I can see the skill right the technical knowledge but it's not something oh i could never do that or there's some things i just look at it and go there's no way i can do it. like drawing like well like my daughters draw better than i do i'm not making this up yeah, yeah there's yeah. six and eight and they're better than me like no joke i'm like i can't i can't <laughs> you know like six-year-old beats me at it you know what, what can i do i think it has to do with your uh, fine motor skills like you like some people i think men in general have poor Fine motor skills. It's something to do with testosterone. I think it makes you clumsy. So women typically have better handwriting, mm, and it makes you more. It's a, the muscle. Everything from. I'm trying to explain it here, but it makes you move. You're more clumsy. Basically, you don't have that ability to really control the pen. That's why my handwriting is bad. I have lots of testosterone. <laughs> no, but yeah, actually, I read something on this. It actually correlates. It's like it's yeah. one reason why you know it's it's um you know the hypothesis goes. High testosterone levels make like they they hinder your finer motor skills. Well, that could explain a lot because I've always had chicken scratch handwriting. Like man, like yeah, it, terrible. Like drawing a straight line is like yeah, <laughs> it's awful. I also don't hold the pencil the right way, which probably <laughs> I learned. Like I, I grab it like this. I think everybody else grabs it, but like, yeah, I can't. I, I I don't know. It's like chopsticks. People are constantly correcting me, and I'm like, is, does it work? Am I, am I having a hard time with the sushi here? No, so let me do my thing, you know? Yeah, so um, but it was cool. So we, we learned some stuff. We got some extra tools. So I got to finish out some stuff around the house. And, uh, it was uh, uneventful other than that. But uh, a lot of stuff going on in the MMA world. We got Conor McGregor making his return. Against He's Cowboy. fighting this Saturday, right? I think, I think it's a Saturday, yeah, because I know a lot of people yeah. are in town. Uh, for the event, so one of the things I found it's annoying. Two years, it's been two years since he's fought, right? Yeah, it's, it's been, been a while since he's like fought. Khabib, yeah, that was his last fight. One of the things I found annoying about the marketing of it is that they're not talking about cowboy at all. I don't know if you noticed, but you it's see every about... UFC post is about Connor. Oh, look at Connor's knockout. Look at Connor's the king of the mic. Connor, I'm like, I get that he's being brought in against cowboy because he's supposed to beat cowboy and 
fuel his next rampage, but it's kind of uh, to me it's a little disrespectful. Like, you haven't is. even but, mentioned like I haven't seen a promo about Cowboy yet. But I think that UFC has they're not even hiding their bias anymore and how much of a business they are. Yeah, they are not like we envision a fair show two warriors going into combat and there's some rules they have to they, they can't you know they, they they can't favor mcgregor in a fight right like right. he's on his own in there type of thing but everything else they can help mcgregor with and because it's in their interest that mcgregor wins i was looking at the highest payouts in ufc history and i can't remember exactly but i think mcgregor is like five out of six like the top six ufc payouts of all time yeah the only one that mcgregor wasn't in it was brock lesnar and randy couture UFC 100. Yeah. That was the, but like it was like number four or something. But the other like five were all Conor McGregor. So UFC, they're not even hiding that they're going for the money, which from a business perspective makes perfect sense. As a fan, of course, I hate that. Yeah. As a fan, as a spectator, someone's been following this sport since 1998. I look at 1997, actually. I look at this and I go, that's bullshit. You know, it's messed up with Cerrone. Like, I don't care how much, how many tickets he sells, it shouldn't matter. Yeah. Right. But, you know, there's a, I mean, even Dana as a fan, he might agree with me. But the business side of him, so you can be conflict. Like, the part, there's a part of Dana that can go, yeah, Cerrone deserves more, you know. But then there's the business side of his that probably takes over. Yeah. But think about how many times we have a conflict within ourselves and we go, oh, I could do this, but what I could do that. And you're thinking, you're going back and forth. And there's normally a tug of war and one side wins over the other. Right. That's pretty standard human. You know, behavior, right? We don't always agree with ourselves, right? You're back yeah, and forth on the topic, and you know, you change your mind too. And I think that Dana, um, I think he is a fan of the sport, but he likes money a lot more than he likes the integrity of the sport. And when I mean but, integrity, yeah. I don't mean anything like as in disrespect for this, the dishonest, as in doing what's fair. I think fairness is not on his radar as much as, you know, dollars are. Right. I mean, he is. Is he still the CEO or the president? Or I think he kept his position. I think he got a cut from the sale of the yeah. UFC, but he, they kept him as with on a salary, I guess. Regardless, it is his responsibility to make the business as much money as possible. So he would be irresponsible to the business if he yeah. wasn't doing what makes the most money. Yeah. It's just unfortunate that it's put in this circumstance where they're because, like you're saying, the UFC is. Is like a league more than it is like a business. Well, it should be a league more than it is a business. Like you don't see NFL pushing one team over the other. Yes. You know, like if they're going to put like the Raiders versus, you know, the Buffalo Bills. They don't talk, oh, all Buffalo Bills and no coverage of the Raiders. I don't, I don't watch football that much anymore, but I don't imagine it's like that. If- I, I'll go to it. I try to make an analogy with football teams all the time because people relate to it too much. And I'm always using the Raiders and the Patriots because I can't remember any other team. And I'm like, I know those two teams. And then I'm like, another one. Like, give me another one. Give me another one. I'm like, ah. And I know when, I, when someone tells me, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that team. But like, they're not fresh in my mind because I've never seen a football game in my life. But anyway. Um, you never seen but, one in person? Live? Uh, no, not even oh, wow. on TV. Not even on TV? Not even on TV. Oh, wow. No, I don't even know the rules. I know you're supposed to get a touchdown. That's about it. <laughs> I, I'm not making it. I really don't. Like, I, I can't watch it, man. Like, it's too painful. I sit there. And like five minutes in, I'm like, what is this, man? It's all commercials and stats and people talking. And there's like this much game going on. Yeah. It's like a third of the time there was actually a game going on. The rest of the time, there's nothing happening. It's pretty wild because it's like a three-hour event to watch one oh, game. But it's a 45 that, or 48 minute, I think. Of actual play. Of actual yeah. play. So it's pretty incredible how much filler there is. Yeah. You know? And commercials, all that. 
Yeah, because I always found it the same way. Like soccer is even worse. Even I agree. Though the soccer runs a long time. There's a lot of nothing going I on. I can't watch. So- I, I love playing soccer, yeah. but I can't watch it. I probably like play football. It looks fun, but I don't like. I don't enjoy. It. I think the, I'm not even crazy about watching fights. To be honest, unless it's a friend of mine fighting, I, yeah. I'll skip it. I'm probably not going to watch. I'm not going to watch Cer- uh, Cerrone and uh, McGregor. Yeah. Probably going to be you know I'm coaching a fighter of ours actually, but uh, regarding the league thing you're talking about, I agree with you. Uh, the thing is, when you're in a in a fight format like the UFC, that's not a league. It gives the promoters, in this case Dana White, the power to create his own criteria in his head. Yeah. So whatever the criteria of the week is, you know that's the criteria he's going to use, and it gives him the power to change, right? Whereas the NFL does not have that luxury; they can't pick and choose who's going to be in the final. Exactly. Yeah. Because they're going to make more money that way, right? I mean, I, I think they would love that if they could get away with that. Think about it. <laughs> they probably would. If the rules were in place yeah. where it didn't matter, because the rules were created a hundred years ago, whenever the hell NFL was created. But like that right there was they set the rules, and now people are used to it, knowing what Stanford. But the UFC has always been they have a ranking system, but the ranking system is not the determining factor. It's no. a guide at best. It's a guide. But yeah. there's no, there's nothing written in stone that prevents Dana from doing whatever the hell he wants. Yeah, that's that's the thing, right? Like because even though we have the boxing commissions or athletic commissions, they don't really have. I I would try to compare them. In my mind, it would have been they should have been like the NFL or the or whatnot that kind of organizes everything, sets the rules down. So then the other fight promotions have to work within that context. You know what I mean? But the way it is right now, it's kind of still like a free for all. You know, every yeah. promotion is doing their own things and the. Boxing commissions are just collecting checks, pretty much, <laughs> of what they're doing. I mean, I was in it, and you were probably in it from the beginning, but I remember from Florida, they used to charge exorbitant rates for promoters. Like, it was like $25,000 at one point. I, I could have it wrong, but I remember it was a crazy steep fee to promote an MMA event. And then the boxing was like a fraction of it. And this was because there was still that bias. They didn't want MMA to grow. Wow. Right? So, like, all these small shows could never exist. Like, they would come and go really fast because yeah, you, can't, you can't make money off of it. You know, and you weren't on TV or pay-per-view. You're just running a local show, and you're going to pay, like, 25 grand off the gate to the boxing commission. It's like... That's just corruption know. at its finest, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah, then, like, over not. time now, like, I think they're probably making more money off MMA events than they are yeah. boxing events. And they've sort of shifted that. It was that type of manipulation that was going on. But now they're really a passive entity, I think, for the most part. And the promotions are the ones that are calling all the shots, which, I don't know, it creates this type of situation where there's more economic incentives to try to chase these money fights versus uh, having that integrity you're speaking of, of like, okay, this guy's number two, he should be the next guy in line for a title shot or for a main event or something like that. Whereas now we can just make up titles like a bad, yeah. bad motherfucker what, title. I, I still, yeah. I, I, what are they thinking? <laughs> yeah. You know, but like it, it is a free-for-all. It is kind of like the Wild West. And I, I, I think that's long-term that's damaging. That's the thing about our age. I think that like people are very short-sighted. We don't think too far ahead. They're thinking about me, me, me. There's an excess of... You know, what can I get out of this situation right now without thinking of longevity of things? And perhaps the NFL has lasted for so long because they have that system that even the promoter, like the owner of the NFL may hate, but it's a system that's probably going to last, you know, for as long as, you know, people enjoy watching football, the NFL will probably be there. 
where I could see the UFC going down eventually and turning into something that is like they kind of lose the fans because they don't take them seriously anymore, right? Because they lost those criteria. I think that it's important to keep your base. And I think the UFC has lost credibility entirely with his, their base, right? I think the, the fan who watches NFL and NASCAR is going to watch the UFC for as long as they, they get happy by Connor that, you know, sells them charisma, regardless of skills, right? I'm not saying Connor isn't skilled, but if he weren't skilled, it wouldn't make a difference. Yeah. He'd still sell tickets. It's, his, it's because he's funny, his accent, he talks to talk, he's loud, whatever. people. That's what's getting him to sell tickets, not his actual skills, Yeah. right? Um, and, but with, if you don't have those characters, what are you left with? You know, and your fans, your hardcore fans are the ones that are going to watch the UFC no matter what. Conor McGregor not, didn't have to, if he never opened his mouth again, and no one ever talked again, guys like me and you would still enjoy the UFC. Yeah. Because we enjoy the skill set. But I feel that UFC has lost that base because their lack of criteria. Right? I mean, we, we watch it still, but we know they're biased. Right? And I think that long term is damaging. I think so too, you know, because like I feel now like I'm seeing all these like Conor ads. It kind of puts me off from Conor McGregor now. Like I'm like I've never had a bias against him. I thought he's a actually a pretty exceptional fighter. I think it's phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. And um, but now it's like they're I'm being forced like oh yeah like this. I'm like man, you're pushing too hard. You know, like yeah. let the the fight. Do the talking. Yeah, you know? it, it's too much, man. Like, I if I prefer if they never talked. I like the Japanese-style things. You know, a lot of times I say this, like, oh, that means... I'm not, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I think those are... That's a better moral compass. That's all I'm saying for us to be respectful, right? doesn't yeah. make me perfect or you, but you can have a moral compass, right? That's my north. I know that what is right and what is wrong. This is what I prefer, right? And, you know, but I understand why, you know... It's funny because like, people always love McGregor. Like, almost all of them don't know anything about fighting. It's true. Like, if yeah. the people that really, really into these type of people, like the, the, the loud mouths and, like, the trash talking, almost as a rule, they don't know shit about fighting. It's true. Like, they're like, oh, man, that guy Connor is such a badass. I'm like, and then I can tell the guy didn't know what he was talking about. Like, yeah, the, yeah. The, the people that know fighting, like, don't make a big deal out of him. Because, like, he's good, but it's, like, a lot of good people in there. He's not exceptionally talented. He's good. He's I would definitely put him in the top ten in his weight class. Yeah. No doubt, but... I wouldn't call him the best in the weight class in any weight class, really, or the top three, really. You know, but you know the 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 the, the noise makes up for that, right? Yeah, and he definitely makes a lot of noise. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But we also have uh, in the grappling world, Chael Sonnen's Submission Underground. They're doing a tag team format now. Yeah. Originally, it was supposed to be Gordon Ryan and uh, Craig Jones, and uh, Chael Sonnen said. He'll give $25,000 to any team that can beat yeah. those two. Gordon announced his retirement before the new year, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. It's, you know, the it's hilarious thing about that is that he called me out more times than I can count. And I'm like, I, I, it's fair to say that I'm beat up. Like, you're, you're beat up. Like, it's, you know what it does to your body, right? I'm 38. Yeah. I got, like, this whole new life. And I got this 23-year-old kid calling me out who then retires at 24, right? And then decides to see other people call him out. is like, leave me alone. I'm retired. I'm like... I, that's hilarious to me. Like you're, you're, that's great. You retired twenty four. Now you're giving people shit for calling you out. Whatever. But I do think the format's interesting. Yeah. You know? So I, now the team matchup is Vinny Magalhães. Oh, I think I butchered the last name. Sorry. Magalhães. It's a very nasal sound. It's a nightmare to say it. Even okay. for even Brazilians, like they have to like almost like pause for a second to say it. Yeah. <laughs> say Vinny M. They say Vinny. 
Winniem. And uh, Calvo Bomb, which bon I, also, bon. I don't know how to pronounce your name either, sorry. And then it's uh, Craig Jones with Nick Rodriguez. Yeah. So that's an interesting I matchup. got my money on Vinny and Kyle, actually. I Well, here's the thing, right? Vinny, he's not going to get caught, right? Leg locks don't work. On him, now they don't. Yeah, so he's not going to get caught. Kyle is also very well-versed on leg locks. He is. Yeah, and I haven't seen him... Has he been caught in the submission? I know he's been beat by points and stuff like that a lot. He's tough to tap. He fought Felipe at the, the yeah. Quintet, and Felipe blew both his feet. Like he didn't tap. I don't either because it's crazy tough or because he got very flexible. He was like limping out of the, the arena. Like you yeah. could see that he was hurt. And Felipe's got vicious straight foot lock, like the best I've ever seen. So you know, he's, I I don't I don't think I've ever seen him get caught. I haven't seen him fight that much. Yeah, I know he had like a rough one with uh, Tim Spriggs, but like I, I haven't yeah, seen even him. there like no submission. Yeah, he, like he got roughhoused a bit, he, but he wasn't submitted. So like in this tag team format, they haven't really laid out all the rules yet as far as how I don't, it's going to work. I was going to ask you that. I don't know how it's going to work. I'm imagining it's going to be a submission only type thing. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense. That you know, so if that's the case, yeah, I, I would see. I could see Nick getting tapped. You know, yeah, although I, not easily, but I don't. I, 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 you know, I hate you can't, you can't even. I feel like we're living in a time where even speaking your mind or sometimes the truth and sometimes just giving people facts, you get called a hater, yeah, right. And I'd rather speak my mind a little bit, but like, then I mean, people gonna think this hate. I, I think Nick is overrated in a lot of ways in terms of jujitsu. I think his wrestling is very dominant, but even his ADCC performs, everyone's blown away. And he really won with he beat heavyweights with wrestling. Yeah. And that was it, you know, and then he had like a controversial match with Cyborg. I'm not talking about the shenanigans after the fight or anything like, but it was a very close fight. It wasn't, he didn't really put Cyborg in danger any time. So there's no like a, a outstanding display of jujitsu or of yeah. like submission skills, what I'm saying. Like Craig displays that. I've seen Kyle is very skilled. Vinny, like unquestionably most successful guy in the whole thing. But, you know, for me to, I, I, I don't, I don't, other than his wrestling, which is good. I don't see him with all those other tools. You know, I think there's a lot more. I think that it's it kind of got blown a little out of proportion. Oh, he's a blue belt. Like Barker was a white belt, and he won the whole thing. Yeah. People forget that. I'm like, that's not unusual in ADCC for a wrestler to walk in there and do really well in the heavyweight division. Yeah. A lot of them have done it before. It's not the first time this happens. But uh, yeah, I think it's because it's part of that, like you know, outside of IBJJF world, kind of little niche that's being created. They're really pumping up anyone who's in that little niche. But um, you know, I don't think that he's on par in terms of jujitsu, and I'm not trying to you yeah, know, attack right. anyone. But as at, compared to Vinny, Kyle, and Craig, who to me are in terms of jujitsu a lot more skilled. For sure, you know, uh, there is to his credit though. At the trials, I think he submitted like four people in there, were naked, hit leg lock. He's, he's, so he yes. does have submissions. Let's yes. not say, but again, in the heavyweight division, when he was facing world class competition. It's a different level, it's right? A different level. But those guys, like, um, or at least Craig and Vinny, have shown they can tap out just about anybody yeah. if you let yeah. them. You know, uh, Kyle wasn't in ADCC, so he hasn't faced, I think, that level at least in. Well, actually, no, he he won. I the, think he's there. He's there. He won. He won the BJJ Fanatics Invitational, and he beat uh, what's his name. I've seen him beat Kainan. I've Kainan, seen him beat yeah. Lucas Barboza. Granted, there was yes. like. You know, they were not the rule set where those guys are normally, you know, it was, yeah. you know. But, but still, you but it's, it's yeah. there's huge wins, yeah. no doubt. I think he's definitely ADCC caliber. Yeah. I don't think anyone can question that. Um, I don't see, 
I, I don't see, you know, I don't see Nick being any Vinny or Kyle, to be honest. I just, I mean, it could happen. Yeah. I don't know what the rules are. If it's, if it's, I don't know how it's going to yeah, work. Yeah, the, the right? rules would really determine a lot of it, right? Like, if it's just the first person to submit, yeah. you know, then you might, Craig can win it for the team, I would suppose. I right? wonder if Craig is going to try to footlock Vinny, if he's going to be stubborn enough to do that. <laughs> I'm serious. Like yeah. Gordon kept going for it over and over. After he went the first time, I'm like, it didn't work the first time. What's making you think it's going to work the second? You know, yeah. like switch gears, man. Do something else. You're like a little robot doing it over and over and over. Like, and I've trained with Vinny plenty. I don't know if you ever trained with him. Like, no, I haven't. I've gone for his foot too, man. Like it's it's a waste of time. It's the same thing for his arm. You can extend his arm. Like it doesn't. He's not going to tap, right? So you, you have to think a little. Okay, I'll move outside of your you know regular tool toolbox and see what else you can do. And for Craig, I think that he has more tools. You know, I just that the question is, is he going to use them? Yeah. And can he get there? Because they're probably not his A game, right? He's going to have to play his B game, so to speak, uh, against a guy like Vinny. Because Vinny will literally give you the foot and let you waste energy trying to footlock him. I wish I had those ankles. Yeah, him. I think someone maybe crazier than him would probably be uh, Jeff Glover. Is he flexible too? Oh, God, he is. As he ever, man, like he can turn, like let's say he's standing, my feet are like this. He can turn his feet backwards, like this. Yeah. So he can fully turn his heels on both legs simultaneously, pointing back. Wow. And like, I've never seen him. I've trained with Jeff before, but we weren't like going like balls to the wall or anything. Yeah. So we never, I didn't know that about him. But yeah, he's got ridiculous flexibility in his legs. So he's another guy that you. At least doing an inverted heel hook would it's, never it's hurt It's huge, him. man, because yeah. you can actually use that to your advantage. You can put yourself in positions and lure your opponent into attacking something that you know he's going to waste a lot of energy. For sure. Well, you know, and, and, and I would do that all day. If I had those kind of ankles, I'd be like putting myself in footlocks all day. And I could get at, foot, good at, at footlocks myself so I can counter, right? Yeah. So, yeah, huge advantage, no doubt. Yeah. All anatomy too. Don't ever think that that has to do with like practice. Oh, I gotta practice getting my heels. There's certain things that get stronger in your body. Your yeah. bone breaks, it actually comes back stronger. You tear down muscle fibers, it actually comes back stronger. Brain damage and ligament damage, not the same, right? <laughs> yeah, not the you same. You can't tweak your ankle every day and hope that it's gonna get more. It's not gonna work that way. It's, gonna hurt. it's like it's like back in the day, and I was, I was just talking to Rafael Lejaro. You met him. He's like a, the conditioning coach. Yes, yes. Box. He's like an outstanding conditioning coach. And he would say that um, back, like back in the day when they first started shootbox, I actually believe it. They got punched in the face a lot. It's like going to make it tougher. Tough. I don't think they fully understood. Like, you know, like yeah. we're not talking about PhDs here. We're talking about, you know, fighters that, you know, the technology, the know-how, the, the the research, like none of it was there. We're talking like mid-90s here, right? Yeah. Whatever the hell they, they were, you know, getting started. But that's what they would do. They would just like, this is how you're going to get tough and like your brain is going to get stronger from getting punched, which is an yeah. interesting approach when you really, when you're putting things in perspective, you're like, wait a second. <laughs> but it's crazy the shit that we believe now, that people believe like 30 years ago, they were completely normal. It always makes me think, what are the crazy things that we believe today for what people in the future will be making fun of us. Keto, vegan diets, all this kind uh, I, I, Yeah, of I think all that the there's extremes. fads, there's extremes that people yeah. are going to be making fun of us. Like, you really believe that? And like, yeah, we did, you know? <laughs> it's kind of like that friend of yours in high school or, you know, sometimes, in, you know, well into their 40s, and they're, when they, they dress, they're obnoxious about it. Like, they're so, like, they push that boundary, the fashion boundary, like, so hard. And then 10 years later, they look at the pictures and they go, oh, my God. What was I thinking? It's like, the, you know, like, it's like yeah. anything that is extreme, you're right. And then like 20, 30 years later, it's like, 
what? What, what was going on there, man? You yeah, know, that was just a funny picture. But yeah, it's the same thing with ideas. It's the same thing with fads. And um, yeah, there's a lot of that going on for sure. Yeah, you know, we tend to think that we're so much smarter than we are in the past. We're just uh, making new foolish mistakes that yeah. <laughs> people don't change. People in the future are the same like species <laughs> now we were 30,000 years ago, man. Like, there's not been any change. Uh, it's funny because, like, whenever this un unrelated, but yeah. you know, making a bridge, they're like, I, I always like. I, I hate with a vengeance that show Ancient Aliens. Have you ever seen it? Is that and, the one with the guy's hair? That's yeah, the crazy. He's a great <laughs> Greek guy, like yeah. this crazy hair. He's like talking. He's so confident about it, right? And it's like so insulting to archaeologists, and it's insulting to Egyptians, and it's insulting to so many people that actually know what they're talking about. Because really, what they're saying is like we're really smart. Those people three, four, five thousand years ago were so stupid. They could have not have done it without. I mean, on the historical side, you can raise so many questions claiming that aliens build pyramids. Like, there's so many different ways you can come, you know, answer that. Yeah, it's completely absurd, but it's insulting because the assumption is we're really smart because we got iPhones. You didn't create the iPhone. Don't give yourself credit for something you didn't do to begin with. That is accumulated knowledge over centuries that finally led to an iPhone. That wasn't me or you because no single individual could have done that by themselves. Impossible, right? Uh, but it's really, it's a way of saying like people in the past are dumb. They didn't know. And they were just as smart as we are. In fact, I suspect they're probably even smarter in a lot of ways. They had less access to information. But they were probably hand in like, like figure it out kind of. Yeah. yeah, they're far more handy than we are. They could survive just about anywhere like we can't. Yeah, they had you to know? be much more handy because they had less tools. Less they, tools. They had, to, they had to know how to make more use of what they had. Yeah. I, that's probably our greatest gift as a species is that we can pass our knowledge. Yeah. And I mean, animals teach each other certain things, but not to the extent that we, that can, we do. That we do. Oh, we yeah. write books. Yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of the stuff that they documented didn't survive the test yeah. of time, and people plundering and burning libraries and stuff didn't help either. But I know when people were trying to figure out how they make the pyramids, oh, we can't figure it out. It's impossible. It's like, no, you can't figure it out because now you have all these different tools, and you only know how to do it with these things. You never learn yeah. how to do it without With, it. Yes. Whereas the people from thousands of years ago, they only had those simple primitive they tools. Maximize those tools. But they know how to do it. And I think one of the yeah. things people underestimate is when you have a hell of a lot of slave labor, you can accomplish amazing oh, yeah. things. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and and uh, by the way, regarding the pyramids, there's a really good documentary. It's a National Geographic documentary. It's called The Internal Ramp Theory. Mm. And it's this French uh, architect. And he's been dedicated his life to figuring out the pyramids. And it's very compelling. It's an internal ramp. They build it in a spiral inside the pyramid. The blocks were dragged inside the pyramid. And the, there's a lot of evidence inside of the pyramid for that. And I, was, I, mean, I, I mean, I'm no expert, but I'm yeah. watching it. It sounds far more convincing, certainly more than aliens. Like, let's cut that one out. But there's like this other one's about a spiral on the outside of the pyramid, which creates all these other problems. And a huge ramp going straight to the top, which also creates a lot of problems. Because it uses more materials in the actual pyramid. Yeah. Right? But uh, the internal ramp one, when he's explaining it, is like, oh, that's really easy, actually. That, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. When, watch it. It's called the internal ramp theory. Hmm. It's on YouTube. But um, anyway, I, I geek out on that stuff. I geek out on it because when I was a teenager, I was obsessed with, like, a lot of that sort of literature when it came to, like, ancient civilizations 
and uh, Graham Hancock, you know, who's not an archaeologist, he's a journalist, but people idolize him. But I used to read, I read his books when I was a kid. Uh, there's another, there's a bunch of them, right? You can go deep down the rabbit hole. But now as an adult, I look back at it like it's, it's kind of, but it's kind of interesting. It's an interesting conversation because for sure, ancient cultures are so fascinating. No, and a lot of them mirrored each other. Like you have pyramids in Egypt, you have pyramids in Mexico, you have pyramids in, uh, well, they, I'm not sure they're pyramids, but they had structures in uh, Bolivia. Yeah. Remember, one of them they made with a stone that was harder, uh, that could only be cut with diamond. And they had chiseled patterns yeah. and whatnot. So, like, how the hell did they do this? You know what I mean? I, I, there's, yeah. So, but, it, but it's interesting that different parts of the world were building these pyramids. Yeah. And so that's one thing, oh, aliens came in and they did it everywhere, or aliens inspired them but, to do it. Think about this. If you, if you ask your, you know, if I ask my daughters to build me a castle on the beach, you know what they're going to build? Yeah. A pyramid. Yeah. You know, because it's the most fundamental base. If you want to build something tall and you don't have the technology to build a skyscraper, what are you going to build? Yeah. It's a pyramid. It's the tallest thing you can build when you're lacking cranes. Yeah, because it's not an efficient structure because yeah. <laughs> yeah. the base is huge, you know, like as you get higher and higher. So. But it's the easiest tall structure to build when yeah. you lack a crane. It's, and very stable. Right. Obviously, stable. I mean, this lasted. lasts thousands of years. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, and not only that, the technology to build all these pyramids is completely different. Mm -hmm. Why would the aliens be changing the technology? Come on, people. <laughs> and not only that, if they're really going to give us something, how about penicillin? <laughs> right? How about an iPhone? Like, how about like, like electricity back then? That would have been way more helpful than a pyramid. Why would they bring a pyramid out of all things? Yeah. I mean, I think come there's, on. A, there's a certain. Uh, I lose the word to describe it, but kind of like a synergy where I know they've documented this in. There's this particular monkey in Japan. That would that they introduced sweet potatoes to, and previous to it, they didn't know how to eat the sweet potato because it was sand all over it, so they would it wouldn't be good. One of these monkeys figured out they can wash the potato, okay, and then they were able to eat it. Okay, that monkey's tribe figured out how to do it by yeah. watching him, and they start all eating sweet potato. And the interesting thing that happened was that in different islands scattered across, all the monkeys started doing the same thing like spontaneously. And they're like, how did this happen? Because the monkey didn't travel to these different islands to show the other monkeys how to do it. And uh, one of the ideas is that there's essentially a connected consciousness that after you reach a certain amount of, I guess, entities that pick up this knowledge, it suddenly just disperses everywhere else. And it's like how calculus was figured out like in three different places around the same, around time, the same period, time right? Um, so that's one way of seeing it. The other thing is just we're all very similar. We're going to yeah. come up with similar conclusions, right? Yeah. Like you said, like everybody, if you try to make a sand castle, it's going to be a pyramid yeah. in the basic level. So, you know, yeah. that's going to, a shared experience is going to be happening everywhere, you know? Since we're on the topic of ancient, you know, civilizations and the, the, the dawn of civilization, there's, it's an old, it's not a new book. It's widely known. You probably read it. Most people heard of it. Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jared Diamond. Uh, it's a classic. It's a must read. Guns, germs, and steel. It's a it, well. They're basically, he's basically trying to explain why was it that Europe conquered the world. Mm. Of course, there's a racist, um, you know, um, claim right where white people, are, which is crazy because there's not a single tool that allowed for Europe to conquer the world that is actually European. Every single invention that made possible for Europe to uh, conquer the world was either from Northern Africa, from Middle East, or from China. Gunpowder, steel, bronze. 
uh, wheel navigation, cartography, you name it, right? It was so it, clearly there's you can't make that argument, right? It's absurd. But but why Europe, right? Why not why not the Middle East? Why not Africa? Why not South America? Why not Australia? Hmm. Right. So he goes on to answer the questions. He finds the answers in geography, the fauna and the flora available to people. Right. So Native Americans knew. I mean, the Aztecs knew the wheel, but they never developed uh, a wagon. Why not? They knew the wheel because they used it in toys. Yeah. Right. But why not a wagon? Well, they don't have an animal to pull it. It's that simple. Or no horses around. Because the Clovis people, when they came over, they wiped out all the horses. The, America was full of horses, but they were easy prey because they didn't evolve alongside humans. So when humans made it across the Barren Strait, their easiest target, a lot of meat, go, kill it. They wipe them out just like that. What are the Aztecs left with? Dogs, turkey, can't get that to pull a wagon. So what are they gonna do with the wheel, right? Plus they never reached the Iron Age, right? So they can't build like a, the kind of wheels that the Romans were building, right? So it's, it's uh, or the Bronze Age for that matter. So, um, but this is all, these are things can be explained geographically. They have nothing to do with intelligence. They have nothing to do with uh, ethnicity or race. They have to do with where are you located. And then he finds that the, 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 the dawn of civilization takes place in the Middle East. And there's a reason for that. That was a place where all the domesticated, uh, the animals that could be domesticated were located. Cow, horse, um, I think the, the duck, the pig. And, in, and that right there gave that region so many tools that they had an advantage over Australia that doesn't have any animal that can be domesticated. Yeah. There's not a single animal you can domesticate in Australia, indigenous Australia, right, for example. So it's an interesting approach because it kind of turns the whole, it explains Europe colonizing the world, right? Fascinating read. If you don't like to read, there's a documentary on it, Guns, Germs, and Steel. Check it out. It's very interesting. and. Uh... I've heard something about that as well with seasons, like countries with long seasons and whatnot. Mm. They had disadvantages. Like uh, well, one of them, I think I've read was in Malcolm Gladwell's book. Uh, damn it! Not the. Um, I got one. I never read outliers. it. I have it. Outliers. Outliers. So like he was talking. Is that, about, is that the one that he like? That's the one that blew him up, though, right? Like that's the yeah, one. Yeah, that's the one that made him. Yeah, I think that was his first like big one. Because well, yeah, one gave it to me as a as a gift. I never read it. Well, he describes in Asian cultures, like in China particularly, yeah. uh, one of the things that famous for, for the work ethic, like how they, they work yeah, so hard. Yeah. And one of the reasons is that uh, that he had postulated was that the rice growing isn't seasonal; it's year-round. You can always plant rice, and they can always interesting uh, manage it, or at least has a much longer season than yeah. like European seasons, where winter you're not doing anything. You know what I mean? You're just sitting there and hoping you have enough reserves to last you the winter. Whereas I, I believe, from my understanding, in for rice you can plant it year round. Yeah, and it is also has lots of micro components behind it. Like you have to manage the basin. Essentially, it's like a, a giant pot, if you will. If it's not perfectly level, it's going to affect the yield. So every day it has to be managed. The water level has to be managed every day. The spacing between the different rice you grains, can't stop. You can't stop. <laughs> it requires high level of it, technique. Yeah, right. It's not just like throw it in there and you're done. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of moving parts that are managed daily. So their toil is constant, which means they have a higher, they're going to have to work harder to get their food, but it also requires a lot of technical precision behind it. So that, that was one of the things that they had there that makes it different than like, you know, when you have winter, fall, spring, like it's going to change. Oh, 100%. Yeah, you know, you're yeah. going to work hard in the summer or in the spring and then you're going to relax in the winter and hope you're... Yeah, if you're in an environment where things are giving you easy, I mean, you don't have to go back and 
you know, so you know, the, the, the birth of civilizations, you can actually look at, you know, people around you. You get kids that are born rich. Yeah. What happens? How many of them, like, what is the push and the incentive to actually, you know, put, you know, strive when you know perfectly well that when your parents die, you're going to be, why kill yeah. myself, right? People get complacent. And in the, on the other end, though, I think when you're born too much poverty, too, though, and everyone else around you is poor and never created an expectation to leave it. Yeah. Because no one around you is really going beyond, you know, yeah. leave in that circle it's trickier right like they they each have their own problems right yeah. people like oh i mean it's probably better to be born rich than to be born poor i would think because you have much more chance for opportunity yeah. at the same time there are unique problems to being very rich that can be appreciated if you're poor because you you, you just don't know it you can't see from that lens right and likewise the, the rich person who doesn't understand the problems that a poor person would yeah. have you know it's like they had bill gates once in a what was it? I think it was like The Price is Right or something. Some type of show like that where you had to guess the prices of groceries. And he had no idea what was going on. Clueless. Because, he, I, of course, he doesn't have the time. He's a personal shopper, you know? No, so I, I don't he, think he's ever... He, yeah. he went like a bag of potato chips, like a frozen potatoes, yeah. like $25. And like, <laughs> That's like, funny. I was like, either yeah. he's got something ripping up the hell off, <laughs> you know? He just has no Because to him, a dollar and a hundred dollars makes no difference. He like, it does, yeah. he's not even, it's like to us, like a penny and a dime makes like, it's not that, yeah. that's to him, like a thousand dollars and ten thousand yeah, dollars. He's, he's dealing in billions, you know what I mean? And he's not, it would be silly for him to deal with that. Yeah. You know, he's got bigger problems to fry, you know? Yeah. But it was funny, you know? They were showing it, it's like, oh God, I've never seen someone so poorly. <laughs> they got that's no idea funny, what's going man. on. Yeah. That's good to hear right there. I love to see that. Yeah, yeah. man, but um, it, it, it was interesting. And the whole, where you are is very important, like in how you come up, right? Like you were describing, like, just with the countries, like, you know, the different places you are give you different advantages. And you have to understand how to use them. You know, I think probably the Europeans did a really good job of getting resources from other people as well and making it their own. I don't think they had any, like, not as many ideological problems as grabbing someone else's stuff and making it their own and running away with it, you know? Like, uh, it's kind of fascinating. And it applies to our martial arts as well. You know, 100%. like, depending on where you, you started training, if you were limited in scope of what you could use, like, you might have stagnated. You know, like, if you trained a school that was very traditional, you never would use leg locks, right? If you're doing BJJ back in, like, late 90s, early 2000s, you would have been frowned upon. I know. Yeah. I, I went to a couple of places, and they would heal people, and they would, before even locked it, they would tap it with, like, disgust. Yeah, right? like, like, mad at you. Yeah. Like, and I, I didn't get it at the time. I was, like, yeah. 20. I'm like, what's the, 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 the environment is huge, man, no right. doubt. Um, you, like, you made a point about, like, just a second ago, about, like, being poor and being rich. Yeah. And just for something, just like a memory. Um, I was in the favelas with Tater Day back in the day. Tater Day was in his prime. You know, I was training under him. And uh, he took us to the favela once to stay with him, right? And it was quite an experience because I didn't grow up poor in Brazil. I wasn't rich, but I didn't grow up poor either, yeah. right? I was middle class. And, but it was quite the, the social experiment. And I, I, I did remember, though, that probably the happiest people I've ever seen in my life. And I think that the reason for that is because they've given up on being rich. There's no expectation. There's no pressure. When there's no pressure, it's like, just enjoy every second of it, right? Yeah. They were very, very like, I'm not saying I'm suggesting I want to live like that, but it's, it's always like, it's, it's interesting to remember like how happy they were. Always smiling, man. Like I didn't see a single person pissed off in that place. 
Well, it, it, you know, I mean, you could find native tribes or whatnot that have no access to any technology or modern amenities. And don't know what a stress is. Yeah, and, and yeah. they're perfectly happy with their existence, right? It, we have, that's why I always say, like, first world problems, first right? World because problems, yeah. we've created, we've changed the game <coughs> of me. what it is to be successful. Yeah. Know? From an animal point of view, successful is... Surviving. Surviving and Having procreating, babies, procreating, you know? Yeah. That would be the ultimate success. You know, right. you're able to spread your, your genetic material you want, right? Whereas now, like, that's not enough for some people, you know? Now it's like, well, we have to spread knowledge or we have to, you know, accumulate wealth or... Whatever the, your game that you've made, but it's you can. That's when people think they get stuck in that rat race because they think this is what it is. Like, no, you can detach yourself a little bit. Like, yeah. I always tell people, like, you can strip me of everything I've ever had and then throw me somewhere else, and I'll find a way to make it work. You know, like, they, and it's crazy how much time and energy we go into pursuing things we know perfectly well are not going to make our lives better and are not going to make us happier. Right, like it's yeah. crazy because we are in the rat race, and like we're all trying to get rich, gotta get rich. And I, I'm in it too. You are, everyone is, you know. But then you put things in perspective, and like, you know, I know a lot of rich people, like very wealthy people. Yeah, they're not necessarily. I mean, they, they all, they got the, they got problems too, man. They got their own yeah, unique it's not, problems. It's yeah, it's very unique problem. And I'm looking at them like I don't envy your life. You know, but then you look at their house, and oh, it's a nice house. You know, maybe I want that. <laughs> and then you're like, well, I have to do all that to be there? Do I really? It's my point is. It's, um, you know, I can't remember where I saw this. And I did mention this the other day. I hope it wasn't on this podcast, but I was having this conversation with someone. I don't remember what it was. But there's research that shows that people valued their social rank based off of not what they actually had, but how that related to their neighbors. Mm. So, for example, let's say you make 100 grand a year, right? Which is pretty good money, right? All your neighbors make 400 a year. You're pissed off, right? <laughs> but let's say you make 80 a year, but all your neighbors make 20. You're actually happier, yeah. Because people were basing their how well they did in life not on what they actually had, but on how well they were doing in relation to their neighbors. And what poor people, no matter how bad your financial situation is, you got to acknowledge that you live better than kings did 500 years ago. Kings did not have the luxury that poor people have today in the United States. True. Yeah. They eating. They had more options for food. You probably didn't freeze. You don't probably. You're probably not as cold as unless you're living on sleeping on the streets. Yeah. Like a castle looks like a really cold place to me. I don't care how many fires you got going on. Yeah. You know, like you probably have more longevity. Probably living longer. Your children are probably surviving. You know, your 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 wife is more likely to survive childbirth. Yeah. So it is a better time to live, no matter how poor you are. But the great question of the age is: Are we happier? Yeah, and that's. Uh, I think one of the keys to that is to. Focus on inside, right? Not because everything around you can be taken away from you at a moment's notice, yeah. you know. But as long as you're fulfilled from within, you'll always find a way to be yeah. happy. You know, like I think that's something that you were saying. Those people in the favela, they were happy because they've learned to be happy with yeah. themselves, and you know, it's internal, yeah, right? It's, it's, it's internal. It's it's happiness in, comes from within, yeah. and then it projects outside. But if you're looking outside to hope to fix it inside, it doesn't, it doesn't work, no. man. And I've met some really unhappy people in my life, and they were really like looking for happiness in things like vacations, mm-hmm. new car. Yeah. You know, I got to look better. Um, you know, it's always like if I win that jiu-jitsu title, it's going to make me, you know, and it's really, at the end of the day, you have to live inside of yourself all day. When you look, and you, no matter how much you interact with other people, you spend a lot more time with who? Yeah. With yourself. No one keeps you more company than yourself. Right? Yeah. And when you look inside, you look at that picture. You got to look at that picture every day. What is inside? 
And if you're not proud of that, and you're not happy with that, there's no way you're going to be happy. You have to be able to look inside and go, all right, I'm not perfect. You don't want to be delusional and think, you're, you know, no one is. You gotta, we all got stuff to fix. But you want to be able to look inside and go, not too bad. And I'm actually pretty, I'm okay with who I am. You know, I like yeah. my, you know, I know what I know and I don't know. But I, you know, I, I'm proud of the fact that, you know, of, of the person I am, right? And if you have that, I think it's easier to get by no matter what you actually have in, in the material world, right? For sure. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. Like you don't need to have uh, all these possessions, these wealth, the fame. Yeah. All that's fleeting. That means nothing. Like in a million years, all that's going to be wiped out. It's not going to matter. You know, people are striving to make their mark so they can be remembered through history. Like, don't be foolish. <laughs> At some point, care. the planet yeah. might be wiped out and yeah. we all exist. And yeah. there will be no record that humans even exist in the universe, yeah. period. Right? So, like, yeah. don't worry about that. I think that. the pyramids would survive. I think one of the few <laughs> things that would survive. Computers wouldn't. Your Google Drive cloud certainly wouldn't survive. Uh, it's the pyramids that would survive. Yeah, so yeah. you have to be happy with yourself. And I think the best way to test that, put yourself in a room by yourself for a yeah. long time. And if you don't drive yourself nuts, you're doing okay. Right? Yeah. You could be content by yourself. Like, uh, have you ever done those isolation tanks? The flotation float tanks? tanks? I've done it once. Yeah. A hint, hint, if you ever do one of those, do not let the water get in your eyes. It ruins, <laughs> so I'm serious, it's it, very, it ruins the whole trip. Yeah. Because it, your eyes are so, like, it, so, it, uh, it just stings, right? Yeah. And you got to stop and go, it's, it ruins the whole trip. You're saying, keep your face dry. Yeah, because yeah, mine was ruined because of that. Oh, it's very high saline water. Yeah. It's super salty because you can you literally floating on salt pretty much. Yeah. It's like being like I guess in Salt Lake, or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, like it it is an interesting experience because you're in there by yourself for like an hour, and after a while you're like you're just floating in your thoughts. You know? Yeah, and if you have like toxic thoughts or ideas, they're gonna come out and. Yeah. It's a mirror to who you are. Yeah. Like, and that's why I like spending time by myself. I think it was Joe Rogan who was saying one of his stand-up comedies. I, and I love Joe Rogan's stand-up. I think he's brilliant because he's not just trying to be fun. He's constantly making good points. And I think that's the perfect comedy. The good comedy has got to be intelligent. Insightful, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And he's talking about like the, the worst thing you can do. People don't like that much to be alone. And I think what he, was, he meant by that is like, we need alone time. We all enjoy that. But like we do like people as well because yep. the worst thing you can do to a criminal is leave them alone. Yeah. Put him in solitary confinement. That's the worst thing you can do to a criminal. Like, and that's true. Like, fuck, man. But I do enjoy my alone time. You know, even though I am a people person, but I do enjoy my alone time. And that's why, like, I travel a lot for seminars and stuff like that. He's like, Rob, don't you get tired? I'm like, yeah, waiting in line sucks. People, you know, losing your luggage sucks. And getting your having your flights canceled sucks and all that. But one thing I love about travel is that I'm alone for from four or five hours on a flight. Chances are you're not talking to anyone, right? Unless the person next to you starts talking, whatever. Sometimes you meet interesting people on flights, but mm -hmm. for the most part, you're quiet. And I do enjoy that because it is a way of like talking to myself. For sure. You, know, you look inside and then you, you know, and it's a way of challenging yourself, like challenging your own beliefs and your own, you know, and you try to solve your problems. And I, I love that exercise, man. Like I really enjoy it. I like my alone time because I like to look inside. Because right. I want to see what's, you know, what, what, is, what is it I think about this? What's my opinion on this? And I'll be thinking for like an hour about what my opinion is on a given topic, anything. Right. Yeah. I think that's very important exercise. Yeah. You know, I, I spend a lot of alone time with myself. More than, like when I was in West Virginia, I was alone for like two years pretty much. Yeah. The only person I saw was my girlfriend. Like, like, <laughs> and that was it. So, I mean, to me, that's, I always tell my brother, I'd rather be in solitaire. Yeah, I I, 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 I know people. I don't like want to get yeah. Italy raped or shame. That's true. I think I'd rather be alone. <laughs> I can deal with being alone, you know. 
but, but yeah, if you can't do those type of things, like, or you have to constantly be stimulated by external stimuli, like, yeah. I, I, we've talked about this before, and you, I think you and Frank also said the same thing. You don't listen to music in the car. Yeah. I, I always drive silent. You know, when I'm at home working on the computer, there's no music or anything. It's just silent. Yeah. yeah. And I just think. And uh, that's very helpful. It keeps you in touch with yourself. And it keeps you honest, you know, because if you don't hear yourself, you don't talk to yourself. You know, people think, oh, that's, you're crazy. Like, no, like, you got to actually talk to yourself because you might actually think things or you might find out things about yourself that you're deep-seated, subconscious stuff that you never got out of you. You know what I mean? Like if you ever do like deep meditations or whatnot, yeah. you you pull out stuff from your. There's a lot more that, in there than you didn't. It, that's on the the surface, right? Because yeah. we typically see the surface, but yeah. it's interesting to to go way down in there, and you know see what else is out and what else you can, um, you know what other aspects of your personality or. You know, just learn more about yourself. Like know thyself, right? Yeah. It's a pretty old saying. Like, I think it's valid, and it's always going to be, and I think. Ultimately, is you know, and I think just to finish off because like I, I gotta go, but like life is a journey about self discovery about 100%. all. Like you get to the end of your life, and I'm I'm thinking that I'm gonna be my deathbed sometime, you know, hope like sometime in my seventies. <laughs> I don't know if I'll make it that far, but and it's gonna be like, oh wow, I think I know myself now. You know, it's crazy, but you spend your whole life just to get to know who you are. Yeah. Right. But that's 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 what the journey is man it's just a journey of self-discovering there's nothing else i mean there's more to it but like that's like key component i think it's a very big part of it and if you don't embrace that then you kind of fumble around for a long time i mean you can you can follow the motions of society okay you get married you have kids you work you retire and but if you never take the time to really like discover like you said like who you are, what you want, what are your desires, what are the things you, you're, you're longing for, then like you're going to end up like wondering what if, what could have been. True, true. That's my biggest fears, man. Yeah. Like That's one of my biggest fears is being in my deathbed and wondering what if. Like I don't want that, man. Yeah. I want to be able to say like I everything I wanted to do, I did. I've been to every country I wanted to visit. I tried all the foods I wanted to try. And like all the things that I, to me were interesting, I had like I, I, you know, dove into it a little bit and I go, okay, this is, I have, I, I know a little bit about it or I experienced it a little bit. To me, that's important. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Dave, this is a pleasure. I got class in about 20 minutes. I got to go grab my gi. Yeah. Um, this is a, it's a pleasure to be back. We haven't filmed in a while, so it's yeah. good to be back and uh, I hope you guys enjoyed. We didn't talk a bunch about jujitsu today. No, well, although we no. talk about aliens and pyramids and you know <laughs> life philosophy and everything, but I think it all comes back to jujitsu in a lot of ways, man. Like I, I, I can talk about just about anything and find a way to use a lesson in jujitsu on you know on that topic to do that you know to help me in that topic. Like I, I, I draw so much experience from fighting, yeah. you know, and it's taught me so much that I really call. I mean, I'm, I know it sounds like crazy, but like it's not. It's based on like religion. That's how I look at jujitsu and fighting. It, it is what it is my what gives me a, a sense of morals and you know right and wrong is like I got that through fighting because those ingredients are all there. You just got to pay attention. For sure. You know, like just try to be a better version of yourself, and that's those lessons are on the mats. That's the value of the martial arts yeah. for most people because most people will never get into a physical altercation that requires them to do it. Like yeah. at least in a life-threatening situation, you might get in school fights, but that's BS. Yeah. But like a real self-defense scenario that you have to save your life, I haven't encountered one yet. 
Yeah. I got into school fights, but nothing that I really needed to learn how to fight. Yeah, you know I mean? self-defense so, doesn't, it's not, the, it's not the ultimate motive. Yeah, and, you know, God willing, I, I, I never have to, right? Yeah. And, but if that's all I got for the martial arts, then I wasted my time. But I've got, I agree. I got a lot What, what a poor experience. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been like, oh, I wasted, I guess, 23 years of my life. <laughs> I'm not that scared of getting my ass kicked, you know? Yeah. Like, if it happens, it happens plenty of times when I was a kid, you know? Yeah. So there are more important lessons to learn on the mats, for sure. Awesome. All right, Dave, thank you from, very much. Thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll see you guys again next time. Thank you. Ciao. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I know we had a our Christmas vacation or holiday vacation, whatever you want to call it. And we were gone for two weeks, but now we're back, and we'll keep on our regular schedule of dropping a new episode every Thursdays. As always, feel free to write in your comments, your feedback, suggestions, all that good stuff. You can find us on social media at Breaking the Guard or tag us at a hashtag Breaking the Guard. A final word from one of our sponsors, the Front Headlock series. You can visit frontheadlock.com to learn about my course, which is called the Front Headlock series. <laughs> Pretty straightforward. It's probably one of the most important courses you can learn if you're not adamant about becoming a shooter. And what I mean by shooting is shooting a double leg shot, single leg shot, high crotch, where you're dropping down to your knees and getting underneath your opponent so you can lift them, trip them, and do all sorts of takedowns. Now, if you're on the heavier side or if you just have compromised knees, like me now, <laughs> you don't want to be messing around, dropping to your knees all the time. Or maybe you're in the street fight and there's broken glass and you don't want to get down your knees. I get it, right? Uh, good news is you can wrestle without getting on your knees, right? And the other thing a lot of people are concerned about shooting is that there's a lot of risk. You know, there's all sorts of chokes and guillotines and kimura traps. And, um, and if we're doing MMA, you're thinking about knees and uppercuts coming at you. So, and not to mention the sprawl is, can be brutal if you get crushed and you're a heavyweight. So what else is there? Well, good news, the front headlock. Right? It's a classic hold in wrestling, and it's one of the best ways to control your opponent. As the old adage, where the head goes, the body follows. And it's very true in the wrestling sense. If you catch someone in a front headlock, they're in a very defensive position. They have very few offensive moves that are pretty simple to counter if you know them. And uh, you have all sorts of offense there. Whether if you're in MMA, it's a great position to throw knees, and you can finish fights that way. If you're in grappling, there's all sorts of chokes and submissions from anacondas, guillotines, darts chokes, triangle chokes. You know, you can do just about any choke from there because the head is right there between your, under your chest so both your arms can choke. And if you move up a little bit, you can use your legs to do some creative chokes like Toby Imada did to George Masvidal. So we cover all these types of things and back takes, of course, like the butt drag and um, setting up cradles, which is one of my favorite things to do. Just a lot of offense you could do off the front headlock, and it's a great counter weapon uh, because you don't have to be the one that engages. But, of course, you could be offensive with a front headlock, and I'll show you various ways to set it up for grappling and for MMA as well. So it's a three-DVD course. Uh, spans over, I think, two or three hours. It has free online updates, and it has the mind map as well, as my, all my courses do. You can go ahead, check it out at frontheadlock.com. It normally is um, 
it goes for I think it's like sixty nine dollars, but for right now sixty seven dollars rather. But because I have it on sale for the new year, you can pick it up for just a clean forty bucks. It's a great deal. Go ahead, check it out at frontheadlock.com. That's in DVD and online streaming formats. So whether you want to watch it old school on a DVD or pop it on your phone and watch it right before you go to the gym, you have that option available to you. So go ahead, check out frontheadlock.com.